Well, we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. If you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, or if you are uh, taking notes, which I would highly encourage, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll take all of our points right out of the, the small passage of Scripture that we are going to look at this morning. But, of course, I have to start with a, a story. It wouldn't be me if I didn't start with a story, right? Well, many years ago, uh, there was a terrible uh, outbreak of a disease in a, a remote uh, East African village. And um, after just a few weeks, everybody in the village was uh, infected by this sickness going around. And in fact, people had started to die and they couldn't figure out what was going on. But the, uh, the government sent some experts out to the village to see if, if they could diagnose what was causing these people to be sick. And it wasn't long before they figured out that the, uh, the stream that ran through the village, which supplied the village with water, was contaminated. So the experts decided to go up follow the, the stream back up into the mountains where it started to see if there was something between here and there that was polluting the water. And after several days of, of uh, hiking, they finally made their way up to where the, the stream actually started and it began in an underground uh, pool of water, a, a spring of water. On the outside, it didn't look like anything was wrong. But the water's contaminated. So they hired some divers to go into the spring and dive down and see if they could figure out what's going on. And what they found was a dead pig. A dead pig, had, uh, a pig had obviously fallen into the spring and drowned and had somehow become just wedged in the mouth of the spring that was feeding the stream that was running down to the village. So this crystal clear water that uh, this village had been drinking from for hundreds of years was now contaminated and undrinkable because of the presence of something that never should have been there. Death. Death. In original creation, humans were not meant to die. They were meant to live in fellowship with God eternally. But because sin came in, it opened the door to physical death, but even more devastating, it brought spiritual death. But Jesus came to set us free from sin and death. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let me read that again. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Are you getting that? Has set you free from the law of sin and death. So what does that mean if you've been set free from the law of sin and death? That means sin and death has no more power over you, okay? Our salvation relationship with Jesus has set us free. 
has set us free from the power of sin and spiritual death. We've become new creations, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Our spring water, so to speak, has been made pure. But unfortunately, at times, in this life, we get accosted by the sin and death that still lurks in the world. And it tries to clog up our soul, our mind, and our emotions. And if we're not careful, the wounds of this life can become like a dead pig contaminating our water. So the lesson series that we started last week was called No Baggage. Getting free and staying free. And last week, we were talking about the seeds of trauma, the seeds, the cacos we were talking about last week of how that gets planted into our lives. It's either caught or it's taught. Things done to us are things that have been forced on us, and we get these things in our mind and our emotions, and they affect us. Let me highly recommend, if you weren't with us last week online, to go and listen to this message, because what we talked about last week set the foundation for what we're talking about this week. And next week will be built on these two weeks. Okay, so last week we talked about the seeds of bondage being planted in us. So today we're going to talk about the roots that can sprout from the seeds, and the lesson is called destroying the roots. So what happens if we don't dig up the seeds, roots sprout? Let's look at three roots of bondage that sprout from the seeds of trauma. All right, have you found 2 Corinthians chapter 10? We're going to start in verse 3. And it says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the stronghold of human reasoning, to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So the scripture starts off there, it says we are human. The ESV version says that we walk in the flesh. And what Paul is trying to say here is that he is a flesh and blood human being just like we are. And he lived in the world and he had had emotions and he had a body and he struggled with the same things that we struggle with. But Paul makes it very, very clear that he did not wage war in a human ability or in his flesh. But he fought for a spiritual battle. He fought a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons that affected his human life. So I want to look at three things that Paul talked about here, but I'm going to flip the the scriptures over. We're actually going to start in in verse 5 and work our way back up. So in in verse 5, It says the first root that we have to destroy is rebellious thoughts. In fact, the scripture says that we have to capture rebellious thoughts. What are rebellious thoughts? It's thinking that's out of order. It doesn't line up with truth. And understand that we as humans, we have our own perspective of truth But God's perspective of truth is what is actually truth. 
okay? God's perspective of truth is what is actually truth because we judge by what we can see. And what we can see is all that we can see. God can see more than we can see, so his perspective of truth is what is actually truth. Think about it this way. It's like we're driving in a car. You ever been driving in a car and you're driving down a, a winding road or, or driving uh, in, in, in a hilly part of the country or a mountainous part of the country? You can only see what you can see. You can't see what comes around the corner. You can't see what's over the next hill. You can't see what's over the next mountain. If you drive down into a valley, you can't see what's on the other side. There may be trees all around you. You can't see beyond the trees. We can only see what we can see. So our reality is based in what we can see. But it's like God's flying in a plane. He can see above everything that we see. He can see what's over the next hill. He can see what's around the corner. He can see beyond the trees. We're really going to limit ourselves if we say, this is reality, this is the only reality there is, and we don't press in to hear what God has to say about reality. Rebellious thoughts question God's goodness. And if we'd be honest, we've probably all questioned God's goodness at times. Things like, where are you? Where were you? (laughs) Why did this happen? And honestly, struggling with questions doesn't make you bad. You hear me? Struggling with questions does not make you bad, but drawing the wrong conclusion will bring you into bondage. The enemy will bombard you with the questions and then he'll offer an answer that questions God's motives and God's word. Think about Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Eve is talking to the serpent and the serpent right off the bat said, did God actually say don't eat the fruit? He questioned God's word. And then he goes on to say, well, God doesn't want you to eat because it will make you like him, questioning God's motives. When the truth is, God wants you to be as much like him as you humanly can be. He wants you to be as close to him as you can be. But questioning God's words and God's motives is really questioning his goodness. And and the truth is, God is good. We say it, God is good, and there may be situations going on in our life where the perspective looks like, I don't know that this is good. But we need to understand that from God's perspective, you going through the valley of the shadow of death may be the best thing that's ever happened to you. It may be the shortest way to get you to a place of freedom instead of, no, I'm going to walk around this way. Well, since you can't see what's over there, you don't know where you're going. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Rebellious thoughts also question your righteousness. See, the enemy wants you to doubt God's redemptive work in your life, but if he can't convince you that you're not saved, he'll try to convince you that you're the most worthless thing in the world. 
You're not worth God's time. He's mad at you. He's disappointed with you. He's punishing you because of some sin in your life. Listen to me. Like we talked about last week, sin is not the issue with a born-again believer. You hearing me? Sin is not the issue with the born-again believer. Think of Romans chapter 8 again. The spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death because of Jesus. The issue with believers is us having a sin consciousness thinking or, or an unrighteousness thinking. If you think you're unrighteous, you will act unrighteously. God is not as obsessed with sin as we are. He's already paid a price for sin. We have to have a righteousness consciousness that believes that we are righteous. We have right standing with God. Not because we've earned it, but because he's paid for it. And since he's paid for it, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Listen, Jesus didn't come to make bad people act good. Jesus didn't come to make bad people act good. He came to make spiritually dead people alive. And Satan wants to distract you from that fact with thoughts that are rebellious to your right standing with God. All right, so if we allow rebellious thoughts to remain, they will become, according to verse 5, proud obstacles. The Scripture tells us that we have to destroy proud obstacles. I'm reading that out of the, the New Living Translation, but the ESV calls them lofty opinions. The New King James calls them high things. And the NIV calls it every pretension. The Greek word here means anything that is hostile to the Christian faith. So these proud obstacles become hostile to the Christian faith, to your faith. And the Christian faith, in essence, is I trust God, he's in control, I am not. You get that? I trust him. I trust him. I trust him with my life. He's in control, and I am not. So thinking that it's hostile to my Christian faith is the arrogant belief that I'm in control and that I can handle this situation all by myself. That's an obstacle to freedom. Rebellious thinking has questioned God's goodness in my life. And I've mistaken that I can do life better my way than his way. It looks something like this. I know what the Bible says, but. If God really wanted me to do this, he would have done that. As if we were negotiating with him. A lot of you have heard the story about, about me and my family 
being outside of church for about five years because of, of uh, being hurt in ministry. And during that time, uh, I did media production. In fact, I, I helped co-found a, a media production company here in town. And it was amazing how often God would use clients to point out my wrong thinking, my wrong feelings that were causing wrong actions in my life. Not because my clients were, were preaching to me. A lot of times they, they were very, very lost, very, very without Jesus. And I would see things going on in their lives like, I don't want to be like that. But then there would be times that, that God would just poke at something. He's good at that. Does he just poke at you sometimes? And I was sitting there, I was working with uh, somebody from Kilgore College, and we were working on a project. And you kind of get to know people, especially when you're working on a larger project with them, and you just talk. You know, it gets boring going, hey, you like that edit? Do you like this edit? So we're just talking. And this lady, you know, we'd been having a conversation, and she just says, well, whatever, whatever made you want to start your own business? And before I could even think about it, before I even had a conscious thought, I spun around in my chair and I looked at her and I'm telling you very, very aggressively I went because I will never be put in the position again where somebody can fire me, where somebody can kick me out of my house, where, and they try to take away my ability to provide for my family. I will never be in that place again. And she went, mm-hmm. There was an awkward moment there, and I just turned back around. Went, I'm a very creative person, so I thought it would be good. What had happened was that that wound, that wound from basically being kicked out of ministry, kicked out of the parsonage, kicked out of the church, it had festered, and it had started growing roots. And when somebody poked at it, it just came roaring out. But what I was really saying was, God, you let me down. And God, since you didn't take care of us, I've got to do it now. And I'll never be in the position again where i got to depend on you. That's a place of bondage. When we think we can do better than God, that is a proud obstacle to our freedom. It's a root that has sprouted from the seed of hurt that was planted in us. All right. So along with rebellious thinking and proud obstacles, another root of bondage is false arguments. In verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 10, it says that we have to destroy false arguments. And very simply, false arguments are just lies and manipulation. Lies and manipulation. Sometimes we lie to ourselves. It's not that bad. No one knows. No one cares. God understands. We argue with the inner voice of the Spirit of God to excuse the wrong thinking and and the wrong feelings and the wrong behavior. But the fact that we have wrong thinking, wrong feelings, and wrong behavior only proves that we're living in a place of bondage. 
Here's where it really gets fun. After we've excused ourselves, after we've made up all the excuses in the world, we take the next step and we use it to manipulate others. Blaming somebody else for my lack of freedom. Anger to a place that it pushes people away. Don't make daddy mad. Control. It's going to be my way or the highway. And how about this one? Ignoring, giving people the cold shoulder until I get my way. And there's many, many more ways that this could manifest, but uh, these are the four ways that I did it. See, I lived in false argument for, for years after, after being hurt in ministry. I lived in these false argument for years. I was not happy, and it was someone else's fault. And that just made me even more angry. However, it was those around me, those closest to me, my wife and my kids, who were the ones that were bearing the brunt of my anger, not the ones that had done something to me. I did everything I could to control the circumstances so I wouldn't be hurt again. But let me tell you, it doesn't work. So when I couldn't control the circumstances, I just got more angry. And someone did something that I couldn't control. And my rage and anger didn't cause them to to repent of their evil ways. I would just ignore them. I'm not talking to you. I'm not having anything to do with you until you admit that you're wrong. I'm not wrong. You're wrong. My oldest daughter, Elise, many of you know her. She told me one time a few years ago that if she didn't already believe in God, that seeing God set me free from anger would have convinced her of God. You see, our bondage affects those around us. I was asking other people to pay the price for my hurt. Other people to pay for for what I was going through. I hope this this feels heavy in here. (laughs) But here comes the good news. 2 Corinthians tells us that false arguments, proud obstacles, and rebellious thoughts are strongholds in our life, but thank God that's not the end of the story. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5 says, We use the mighty, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, to destroy 
false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. It's meant to be a good thing. When we see things going on in our lives, we have to know that God's already prepared a way. That God's already done something. God's never going to point something out in your life and go, man, you suck. If he's pointing anything in your life, he's doing it lovingly because he's saying, I've already paid for this. There's freedom here for this. So God's mighty weapons that will knock down, destroy, and capture These wrong feelings and wrong emotions, what are they? I'm going to give you a quick list right here, and they're going to seem so simple, so simple. But let me tell you something. God made it simple because we are simple creatures. We need it easy. It's crazy how some people will just, man, if I could just crawl across glass, if I could just do this, if I could just do this, and God's going, you don't have to do that. I've made it easy. I've made it easy. The first thing is, here's a mighty weapon, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were once far off from him, away from him, but the blood of Jesus brings us near. And you need to remind yourself of that. I take communion almost every morning. You know why? Because I'm going to remind myself. Remind myself what this blood has done. This blood has purchased my redemption. This blood has made me a new creation through Christ Jesus. This blood has translated me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. This blood has made me to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because of the blood, I sit with him in heavenly places. It's a powerful weapon that has been given to us, and we need to remember it. We need to remember the blood. The second thing, here's another duh, the word of God. The word of God. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, everybody's got one of these. If you don't have a written one, I bet you can get it on your phone, right? We've got it, but what do we do with it? Now, there are people out there that worship this book. I don't worship the book. I worship the God of the book. But this book tells me about that God that I worship. This book shows me his character. This book tells me who he is, what he has done. So I honor this word. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is alive and it's sharp and it'll even separate between the soul and the spirit. But Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says that we're to take it like a sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Use it like it's a sword. Use it to destroy these things in your life. Next is prayer. We keep going, duh, don't we? Prayer. 
James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Well, gee, if I was only righteous enough to have great power, I will smack you right across the head. You have been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So your prayers are powerful. And when we mix it with faith, which is the next one, it's even more powerful. Mark eleven twenty three. I say to you, whoever would say to this mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, that's faith, but believes that, it, that what he says will be done, it shall come to pass. It will be done for him. When you pray in faith, when you pray the word, things will happen. And here's the last one. Community. Oh, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Community. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Community, isolation is deadly. Isolation is deadly, and that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate you. And sometimes we'll hide because of shame. Sometimes we'll hide because of fear. Well, what if they knew what I had done? We, we can probably compare stupidity, and I would probably still win. So I'm not going to be shocked at what you did. But here's the thing. A lot of times, we are in isolation because of the lies that we believe. Ephesians 5 says to drag everything into the light, and the enemy does not want that to happen. As long as it can stay secret, as long as it can stay in the dark, we can hide it, but there's a reason to drag it all into the light. Drag it all into the light. Let's be honest. You got junk. I got junk. We all got junk. All God's children got junk. But together, we are stronger. This is my last scripture, Leviticus 26.8. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase 10,000, and your enemy shall fall before you. Why? Because we're better together. We're stronger together. We can find freedom together, and we can stay free together. So what do I want you to know? The seeds of bondage will sprout roots if we don't allow the Lord to deal with our soulish baggage. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel hope. Hope that you can be free from the emotional and mental obstacles that have plagued you and kept you from being everything that God created you to be. What do I want you to do? I want you to pick up those mighty weapons, those mighty spiritual weapons that we just talked about, and start knocking down strongholds. And we're even here to help you. 
because the weapon of community is here to fight with you. Here to fight with you. 